For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Michael Sinclair. I'm the student life pastor here at Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle, which means I'm over the youth. We got any youth in here? Love you guys. And kids, kids, family, parents, families. I love, I love hanging out with all you guys all the time. So that's what I do here at the church. And for those of you who don't know, if you, either you've been on vacation and you haven't been here for a couple weeks, welcome back, or this is your first time here, welcome. We have been walking through Moments That Alter the Journey. That's what this series, sermon series has been called, Moments That Alter the Journey. We've been looking at scripture and specific characters in scripture to see moments they had with the Lord where either their theology or their course of life was completely redirected. And we're humbly letting our hearts be yielded to the Lord for that to happen in us. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now you're with me. Good. Today we're going to talk about Jonah. When Pastor Stephen first sent me the list of characters to like look through, the first one that popped out at me, he was just suggestions. He wasn't like, you have to do any of these. It was just a list of suggested people. And Jonah just jumped off the page for two reasons. One, I have... uh, a very weird fear of sharks. Like I'm petrified. I don't like the Jonah story just because of the fish. When I was a kid, I'd be swimming in the pool, like a regular pool, like an in-ground pool. And I would be absolutely petrified that there'd be a shark just out out of the blue. Like it would come up through the drain and just eat me. It was the weirdest thing. And so I won't go in the water. I told my wife, if somebody ever paid for me to get like scuba diving lessons, it would have to be in water that was like air, like crystal clear. Because I want to at least see death coming, you know? But in New York, it's like, if it happens, you're not going to see it. It's like, oh, hey, look, there's a shark. Where? Dead. Just, you're not going to see it. So I'm petrified. I don't like being in the water. However, it's my daughter, who's two. It's her favorite story in the Bible. Go figure. So I have to read this story to her almost every day. She thinks the Bible is the story of Jonah and also about a guy with lions named Daniel. She just reads those over and over and over. She loves them. And so I asked her, I said, hey, honey, can I borrow your Bible to read to the congregation today? And she said, yes, daddy. I said, okay, thank you very much. So you can thank my daughter for today's Bible story. And when you look at, you're not gonna be able to see the uh, title slide here, but if you're on YouTube later or you, you look, you're watching from home, you notice that the title of the sermon is Jonah, uh, a lesson in humility and pride. And now when you, when you hear a title like that, inevitably you look at your spouse and you go, this one's for you. You should be listening here. In fact, my wife asked me, she goes, do you think I have any pride in my life? To which immediately I stood before God and went, God, help, what do I say? You told me to be honest as your servant, but I don't want to lose my marriage. He said, just stay silent. (laughs) To which my wife said, okay, okay, all right. So I know that sometimes it's not easy to hear messages like this, especially when we think we're doing good and then the Lord asks us to dig deep into places we didn't even think to dig. The Lord wants to build, he wants to plant new trees in your life for more fruit. In order for those new trees to be planted, sometimes you've got to pull up the old ones or dig where you've never dug before. So let us prepare our hearts now before the Lord. Please join me. Let's pray together, bow our heads, and let's lift our hands to receive the Lord's Holy Spirit today to receive his word. God, I thank you so much that you are so faithful and that you offer us moments to alter our journey. Lord, we want to follow you, but we don't know the way. And there are signposts all along the way pointing us to you and what you have for us. 
And today, there's a new one. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to allow you to have your way, that we would be fully surrendered, a fully surrendered people of God, ready to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. That was a much better amen. All right. Now, when we read the story of Jonah, (laughs) opened right up to it. It's just the one that she reads the most. So when we read the story of Jonah, a lot of people don't know much, frankly, beyond what we learned as kids. I'm going to read this quick story to you. And for a lot of people, especially those who don't go to church often or read their Bible often, this is about all they know, even if they know the story of Jonah. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper today. But I want to just do a little recap for those maybe who've never heard the story. Okay, here we go. Jonah and the whale. I know you sticklers for the Hebrew, it's fish, but just stick with me. It's a kid's Bible. Here we go. God asked Jonah to do some work for him, but Jonah did not want to do what God told him to do. He decided to run away on a ship. The wind blew hard and the waves grew huge. Jonah knew God was angry with him. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. The sailors threw him overboard and the storm ended. An enormous whale swallowed Jonah. Jonah prayed to God and said that he was sorry for running away. At last, God made the whale spit Jonah out onto dry land. Jonah went to do God's work. He was sorry for running away, and God forgave him. Dear God, I promise to do your work. The word of the Lord. This is it. That's about what we know about the story of Jonah. And I'm going to give you a couple more points today. Uh, But before we do, I want to play a little game. So we're used to standing up and sitting down now that Pastor Stephen is in charge. A lot of standing and sitting, standing and sitting and hugging and high-fiving. So we're an active group. So let's stand one more time and we're going to play a little game together to prepare us for today's message. I got a lot of parents in here. They're like, dude, I just sat down, dude. Please, for the love of God, I didn't get any sleep. This will be quick. We're going to play Simon Says, okay? It's not going to be a long game. It's a quick game. Now, For those of you who've never played Simon Says before, here's how it works. I'm going to say Simon Says and then a thing to do. So for example, let's do this together. Simon Says, touch your nose. And then we would all touch our nose. Now I say Simon Says, touch your ear. Okay, touch your head. Okay, see that you don't do. Because I didn't say Simon Says. That's how the game works, okay? So here we go, now we're gonna play. Okay, touch your ears. Okay, you're already messing up. (laughs) Let's try this again. Very simple rules, okay? Kids struggle with this, but we're gonna keep working on it. Here we go. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch both your ears. Simon says, clap three times. (laughs) Clap once. Oh, a couple of you are still, just a couple of you now, good stuff. Simon says, touch your head. Simon says, touch your ears. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ears, touch your nose. Oh, still got a couple of people. All right, so now we're ready to listen to what Jesus says. Are you ready to listen to what Jesus says? Amen. All right, you guys can sit down. Give yourselves a round of applause. If you're still standing, you win. Simon didn't say. Hey. Pastor Matt was here last service. That doesn't count. You're the kid who plays twice. Not cool. 
Now, for all of you who are real sticklers for rules, Simon says the game is over. Pay attention. Open your hearts to what he has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I wrote, you'll notice, you might notice me a couple times having to look down more than I usually do because I had a wonderful sermon prepared for you. Last Monday, a week from tomorrow, I sat down and I wrote out the whole sermon. I was like, amen, Lord, this is good. This, thank you, Lord, this is good. And I said, I'm just gonna sit on this for a week, allow it to just kind of filter me and make sure that I'm prepared to give to you exactly what the Lord has for you. And if my life wasn't an example of the sermon having to learn what he's about to preach, I don't know what is. Last night at 10 o'clock, the Lord goes, hey, can I see your sermon? I was like, yeah, of course. Okay, I want you to change everything. I went, what? Yeah, I just want you to change everything that you wrote and I want you to put it in this new order. I was like, God, but it's good. He goes, okay, I agree, it's good, it's gonna be great. You're gonna teach a lot of people about Jonah and the depths of the history and the language and all these cool things that they might wanna know. But what's the point of your message? I said, well, the point of the message, Lord, is to be humble and obey you in all things. He goes, I'll wait for you. Take your time. I said, oh man. I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to say? And very quickly, the Lord shared with me something very important that I believe is a timely word that he wants us to hear as his people today. Not easy to receive, but important to receive. How many of us are willing to receive that message today? Can I see a show of hands? Amen. All right, well, thank you. That's enough people. I'm going to keep going, even if you didn't raise it. There's enough, okay? What the Lord asked me last night to write down was that Instead of focusing on moments that alter the journey, he wanted me to play a little linguistic game and change alter, change the spelling of alter to A-L-T. Anybody want to take a guess? A-R. Where's your altar? And he showed me in Jonah three times. Jonah had an opportunity to properly lay himself down on the altar of the Lord. And he had three very different responses. What do you do at an altar? You sacrifice something. And if you don't show up with anything and the Lord says, okay, go. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? What do you sacrifice? Yourself. But do we ever worry that the Lord's not going to provide? No. So this is a hard lesson today. Because we might feel that we're doing well. But the Lord wants us to go deeper with him. He wants us to go higher with him. He wants us to bless more. Oh, excuse me. He wants us to bless more. But we can't do that if we just show up the way we were. If we show up to the altar of the Lord and we say amen, and then we walk away from the altar of the Lord, something is broken. Something is wrong. When we show up to the altar of the Lord, we're supposed to lay down our pride, who we are. And we are literally supposed to be carried away with Jesus into what he has for us next. And the main point that I felt the Lord wanted me to say last night was that at the altar of the Lord, pride is broken. Humility is exalted. And remember, if you're sitting here thinking, all right, go ahead, let's see if you point out anything about, I think I'm good. That's it. That's the thing. That's it. We all have things in our lives. Even my beautiful, precious, sweet wife had to say humbly before the Lord, Lord, if there's anything in my life, take it out. I just want you. 
So let's be receptive tonight. So here we are. First altar. The call of God. Jonah didn't have to second guess what God asked of him. God was very clear. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites and I want you to tell them that they're going to be punished unless they repent. And Jonah didn't have to look for a deeper rhema word or get a confirmation. He knew exactly what God asked him to do. And he had the opportunity to be prideful or to be humble. He could try and take what God said and do it or not do it, or he could humbly say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to do this? He chose pride. Jonah chose pride because he hated, hated his enemies. Now, we can't really blame Jonah for hating them. For those of you who don't know, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, there were a lot of countries and empires at this time, and they were all trying to be great. They all had wars, even Israel. They all had problems, even Israel. One other great empire that you might be familiar with is Babylon. And Babylon eventually kind of wins out in the long run. And their whole style was, I'll conquer your country, you give me money, I'll let you basically do whatever you want to do. If you rebel, we'll kill you. But if you follow the rules, you're good. You can just be you. The Assyrians weren't like that. The Assyrians had like a weird twist, a little evil twist. They wanted to see people suffer. So when they took over your country, they made it a point to torture you. Now, I know we have kids in the room, so I'm not going to give specifics, but they were very evil. In fact, if you go today to modern-day Iraq, in uh, the north of Iraq, northwest, the city of Mosul, you'll see one of the palaces where Nineveh stood. And in that temple, archaeologists, well, palace, archaeologists discovered what they call the Lachish Reliefs. For those of you who aren't art majors or like myself, just don't know what a relief is, you have to go online. You can see that a relief is basically just a sculpture. It's a story in stone. And in this story, as you look across, you see the Assyrian soldiers torturing a people. There are stakes, not the kind that you eat. There are ropes. There are slaves. There are beatings. There are horrible things I won't even mention from the pulpit happening in this picture. And the people group in the picture are the Jews, right there on the palace. They broadcasted their evil. They loved it. Their gods were evil. They wanted to honor their gods. They loved evil. It's like that sadistic person who just, the whole nation was like that. And Jonah didn't need the relief to tell you the story. He was living it. It was his people, his grandparents, his parents, himself. He saw the evil in his day, and he hated them. And he doesn't run because he's afraid. He runs because he knows. We learned this at the end of the story, but I'm going to tell you it now. He runs because he knows that God is merciful and that God wants to save his enemies. And he doesn't want to have any part of it. They were like the Nazis or the ISIS of their day. And we know that God doesn't change. So when Jesus comes, in fact, he doubles down on this idea of saving your enemies. He goes a step further. He doesn't just say, be nice to them or save them. What does Jesus ask us to do? A little bit louder. Love. And for those of you who know that God is love, he's saying, I want you to be God to them. I want you to love them like I love you. 
Because Jesus loves our worst enemy as much as he loves us. Who's your enemy? Those of you taking notes, there'll be three points here to take notes. Here's the first one, if you want to write this down. Because I know there's some note takers in the room. Who is your enemy? This is the first altar. Who are you keeping the love of God from? And I'm not going to have you answer it out, but it's also not rhetorical. I want you, please, right now, in your head, in your head, find them. Find them right now. This is a moment from God for us. Find your enemy. Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Is it an aunt or an uncle who did not treat you well as a kid? Or a coach? Is it a political adversary? A new neighbor? Somebody at work? Is it yourself? Do you hate yourself? Who's your enemy? Who's the person you don't want God to save? I will not speak to them. God can, but not me. This is my life. That's God's deal. I won't go there. Send somebody else. Find that person. Because that's who we're talking about today. We're talking about you, and we're talking about them. Because Jonah's eyes were not on God. They were on Israel. He loved Israel. He loved his people. He loved what he thought of his God. He loved their laws, their cultures, their traditions, their specialness in the eyes of God. But he took his eyes off of God. He tried to own God and the things of God. And this is something I see even today. Hear me, church, this is not an easy message to preach. I imagine it's probably a harder one to receive. But I see this today, even in our church. I hear believers often using language of ownership over obedience. My faith, my church, my family, my country, my life, my business. We are called to be Jesus to all the world. This is not us versus them. This is us seeing God. We're the humble ones. We go to them. We bring them in. Revelations 21.3 says this, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There's no qualification as to which men, which group. There's no race here. There's no country of origin. There's no political party. Nothing like that. It just says God will live with men. We just celebrated Christmas. We're so excited that God came to us. God's excited for us to go to them. That's the first altar. The second altar is this. Jonah was humbled. Jonah's pride had nowhere else to run. Humility should have been his first option. Now it was his only option. He had a death in the belly of that fish. Not a physical death, but he died to himself and to his pride. For three days, he sat there in the belly of that fish. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in Hebrew, there's a, what's called a mikvah. It's a purification bath. It's where we get baptism from. You go in the water and you leave yourself and you come out a holy one of God, one of the holy ones. Same thing. 
in baptism with the Lord, we show outwardly what God has done inwardly. So Jonah, at the moment of repentance, is thrown into this bath. He's swallowed by this fish, and for three days, he's purified, humbled, so that he could start off on a beach smelling pretty disgusting, right back at square one, where he should have started. For those of you taking notes, the second altar is this. What needs to die in us? What do you have right now sitting in this pew that needs to die in you in order to look more like Jesus? Where do we need to repent? Specific repentance. Where is that needed in our lives? Third altar. The Assyrians repent and the vine. So Jonah obeys God. He finishes the task. He goes, all right, Lord, I'll do it. He goes and he does it. We know from scripture that Nineveh was about a three days journey to walk through. He only gets through a day and the people obey. And we don't know if maybe the king or the priest saw some kind of heavenly sign that helped them want to hear God's message or if God just moved in a special powerful way over them. We don't know. What we know is that Jonah's worst fears come to life. He is the messenger of God's love the messenger to his enemies, him. He's got to go home and tell his friends this. I told our enemies about God's mercy and they listened. They're as saved by God's mercy as we are. And he begins to hate that God's mercy works for everybody. You see, as a Jew, his job was to be a light to the nations. As a prophet, he was supposed to remind his people to be a light to the nations. But the whole reason Israel exists, the whole reason we sit here and exist as God's people is because of his mercy, his love to us. And Jonah loved it. He made it his. And he hated that God had it for somebody else. He tried to own God. God will not be owned. He doesn't report to us. He doesn't ask us our preference or sit back and go, how old are you now? Or what was your life experience? Or what war did you fight in? How many kids you have? Okay, hold on. All right, rules change for you. No. He says, you ask me. Just like Job. Were you there when I founded the foundations of the earth? I wasn't. All Job could do was repent in dust and ashes. Humility, that's where wisdom starts. That's where God's love starts. That's where the knowledge of God starts. And the Ninevites were willing to receive it. And Jonah angrily marches out of Nineveh and he goes up into a hill and he just sits there angry. Angry that God was God to somebody else. And even here, God shows mercy. But I want to pause. There are people here in this room right now. You're sitting on a hill and you are angry with God that he's good and that he's asking you to be good to people you hate. You have formed, I have formed, even as a church, we have formed an idea of how God operates. We've tried to attach a formula to who God is. He's God. Our job is to show up and say, you are faithful to me. You'll be faithful always. Your mercy was good to me. It's good to everybody. Where do you want me to go, Lord? Stop sitting on that hill. But know this, 
Even there, God will meet you. Even now, he's meeting you. He made a vine to cover Jonah. And Jonah was like, oh, thank God. Thank you, God. Again, in his anger towards God, he said, thank you, God. This vine's great. And the next morning, God sent a worm to eat that vine, and it died. And God sent an east wind. It was hot. He was already sitting under the sun. So it was a tough day for Jonah. He got angry with God. He said, just kill me. Just kill me. And God said, Jonah, you love my mercy to you. Should I not have mercy on this giant city filled with all these people and animals? This is the third altar for Jonah. And we never hear his answer. The book ends and we don't know what Jonah says. And just like we're left wondering what Jonah would say, we're left wondering what our answer is. What's our answer today? Jonah should have finished obeying God and went up to that hill and said, Lord, what's next? And maybe there are some of us here in this room, you did follow God faithfully once. And because of that, your family is saved. Your friends are saved. Because of that, you come to this church or you, you did ministry somewhere one time. You saw God's goodness and you could write about it. You could even testify about it. You don't look like him anymore. You don't smell like him anymore. Maybe you look like mom or dad or America or your favorite sports team or whatever. You look like whatever your eyes are on, but we don't look like Jesus anymore. God didn't ask Jonah to obey once. He asked him to obey forever. We weren't called to obey once. We were called to obey forever not like a slave, but as a son. Come with me, let's do this work together. Even Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, he says this, I, I threw it up for you guys here. Talking about the sign of Jonah, we see Jonah again in scripture, this is what it says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, so no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. See, Jonah was a type to point to Christ for us, for us to see in Jesus what Jonah should have done. It continues and says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here in this room right now with us today. And the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus was the Jonah who obeyed. From the start, he humbled himself and did everything God asked him to do. And he didn't save Nineveh. He didn't save Israel. He continues to save the whole world today. We were made in the image of God. Christ is the perfect image. We are to model everything about who we are around him. We are to be humble servants of our God and King. Not with other things, just him. Remember when we played Simon Says before? Don't worry, I'm not gonna make you play it again. But I want you to hear what Jesus says. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. 
Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. We had fun before. You were ready when Simon said you were going to do it. Boom, 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 boom. I win. But Jesus is saying to you every day, hey, look at your wife. Look at her. Recognize what she's doing for you. Wake up. Stop talking negatively about your husband. Pay attention to your child who's struggling with his identity. Don't sweep it under the rug. Get help. Invite your neighbor to church. Stop cursing. It's not something you should just keep asking forgiveness for. Be a godly man. Be a godly woman. Humble yourself today and watch what God does with your life. Watch. Watch and see when we all gather together in this house what he does with us as his people. He'll send us. There won't be enough churches in the island to hold what he does. We say amen. Get on the altar. Don't say amen and walk out of here like you. Get on the altar. Let's be God's people together. He loves us. I didn't forget the note takers. Last altar, where are you not willing to go? What are you not willing to give or to do? What are you unwilling to surrender today? I want to invite the band to come up when I tell you these last couple points. There are a lot of people in our communities, even in this church, who need us to get this today. The forgotten wife, the disrespected husband, that child struggling with identity, the lost neighbor, the foreigner who doesn't look like you, your marriage on the rocks, or your friend's marriage on the rocks, hell-bound souls all around us, the stranger. We get to start at the altar and carry God's message to them. Listen, church, when we speak, we should sound the world should hear the voices of saved Ninevites, not prideful prophets. You were saved. I was saved by the mercy and grace of God. That's what the world should hear. They don't need to know my station, who I am in the eyes of God and where they stand and you gotta come to me. No, God came to me, I'll come to you. Come with me to him. We have no reason to act arrogantly or pridefully. Hear me, church, I love you. We have no reason to act arrogantly or pridefully. We are saved by God's unmatched and unbiased love. We need to revisit deep humility today. Repentance in our lives, specific repentance, not God forgive me. You tell him what you did wrong. You watch how he turns it around in our families, in our communities, in our marriages, we represent God. Will we obey him today? I want you to close your eyes. You can walk out of here however you want. It's your life. But God wants to meet you today. This is your altar. And you can go wherever you want. You can kneel in your pew, you can stand, you can come to the front. Your actual 
the place in this room doesn't matter so much because you can do it and then leave the same. But if God changes your heart, you'll leave different. Right now, ask him to show you, Lord, what has to go? Where am I getting in the way? What are you trying to do? Humble me, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Send me, I'll go. Ask me, I'll do it. I want to grow in you. I want to love you. I want to be filled with you. Lord, humble us as your people. Teach us to say yes like you did, Jesus. From the minute we start with you to the day we end, the next words we will hear are well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your Father's rest. Lord, we're yours. We give you all the glory today in Jesus' name.